Welcome to Deal Talk, a private equity podcast by Moonfair. Each episode, our CEO, Dr. Stefan Pauls, sits down with leaders from across the industry to discuss their views on the investment landscape, working with portfolio companies, and the lessons they've learned. Yeah, welcome to a Deal Talk number five. My name is Yuri Natsis. I'm one of the managing directors here at um, Moonfair. Uh, we have as our special guest today, Vinod Kostler, and I will be introducing him uh, later. Before we get started, a few housekeeping uh, messages. So we will take about an hour and plan to finish at 7.30. Um, there will be questions, uh, and you can ask questions in the Q&A function at the bottom. I see the first person has already uh, used the, the, the option. That's great. Uh, so please don't use the chat, but use the Q&A. That has the advantage that other people can also vote those questions up if they find them equally interesting. And we can also and answer some technical questions right away in the chat if uh, that. I will read out a selection uh, of the questions in the end uh, to Vinod and, and Stefan, and, and they will then answer. So we make time for that. If there are any journalists in the audience, I do want to remind you that we're doing this under Chatham House rules. We are free to use the information that you hear today, but please neither identify the affiliation uh, or the name of the participants. And uh, also for everybody maybe interested, we are recording this session and we will make it available uh, after in, in the week to come. With that, let me introduce our speakers. Uh, Vinod Kosler almost doesn't need an introduction. He's, of course, the legendary uh, co-founder of Sun Microsystems, uh, where he was the first chairman and, and the CEO until he changed his career in 1984 to become a venture capitalist. He was first uh, joined Kleiner Perkins, obviously also a legendary firm in Silicon Valley. And from 2004, he started his own firm, Coastal Ventures. Vinod has a bachelor, I saw, in electrical engineering from IIT uh, Delhi and a master's in biomedical engineering from Carnegie Mellon and an MBA from Stanford. So very, very impressive uh, education background. I'm assuming um, that you don't advise young people to drop out of college and go straight into startup, but maybe you can correct me there uh, later. With that, I want to hand over to Moonfair founder and CEO, Dr. Steffen Powitz. He will introduce himself and then ask questions to Vinod. Over to you, Steffen. Thank you, Yuri, and a very warm welcome to all of you who attend our fifth Steel Talk today. Look, five years ago, when I founded Moonfair, I was convinced that at some day, Moonfair would become the spearheading force in the democratization of private equity investing. And this is what we keep on doing. But what I did not imagine was that at one day, I would be able to welcome one of the most legendary and successful tech entrepreneurs and investors globally to Moonfair Steel Talk. And this day is today. You know, I'm delighted to have you here with us today. A very, very warm welcome from my end. Well, great to be here and talking to all your audience here. Thank you. So look, Vinod, when you and I, the teams, met virtually roughly a year ago, my team and I were deeply impressed by your visionary thoughts on the future of tech. And I said to myself, wow, 
all these thoughts, these insights, I want that they could be shared with the broader Moonfair community. And today this becomes true. So we want to lean in our deal talk today on your extraordinary and visionary understanding of secular trends and business models that are changing and shaping the industry. Let's get started and allow me to kick the session off with my first question. The Costa is very distinct in its investment approach from other funds. For those in the audience who are less familiar with it, can you please briefly outline your investment philosophy? Well, it started, <coughs> excuse me, with a very simple idea. 700 million people on the planet today have a rich lifestyle, rich in energy, rich in healthcare, rich in education, rich in housing, rich in transportation, entertainment. Uh, <clears throat> 7 billion people want that rich lifestyle. And we can't have 10 times the amount of resources extracted from the planet. So very, very simply, there's only one multiplier of resources, one and only one, which is technology. And so uh, we started with the thesis that we could invent these technologies uh, to multiply resources so all 7 billion people could have a rich lifestyle without destroying the planet. Um, with that in mind, um, and a very optimistic view generally that almost anything we can imagine, we can invent, which is an unusual philosophy we have. And in Q&A, I'm happy to go into it with your audience. Um, I, I, there's two pieces I wrote uh, initially uh, that sort of inform a lot of what I do. One was called Reinventing Societal Infrastructure with Technology. And it talks to most of non-governmental GDP in the United States and worldwide. It says, could you reinvent it to be 10 times more efficient? Uh, and that was both exciting personally from an interest point of view, but also exciting because whenever you do that, it's a very large business opportunity. So you combine the two things. Uh, and the other fact is very few people understand technology well enough to do this. So it's not uh, trading on an equal basis with lots and lots of other people. So that was the thesis. So it comes down to what our business model is. It's very simply technology-based economic disruption in, in, in large markets. And we can talk about each of these markets, but that is what our business model is. What uh, I might add one other thought that surprised even me, me. 10 or 15 years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said, Technology investing is a great area for technology areas. So enterprise software, mobile, internet, um, those are great areas for technology. What has surprised even me, every part of GDP 
is now open to technology disruption. 10, 15 years ago, nobody would have said that, hey, the whole rental car business is subject to innovation. Um, nobody would have said uh, hotels is subject to innovation like uh, Airbnb has shown. So uh, technology is now applicable to most parts of life. And so the area for invention and investment has significantly expanded from what it was a decade ago. And, um, and, and that's what's really, really exciting. Um, I, I do wanna add one more thought. Whenever I look at experts, they're almost always Think of institutions in society doing the reinvention and scaling. Exxon to reinvent energy. GE to reinvent uh, healthcare or power generation or Siemens. Turns out, in the 40 years I've been doing innovation, there is not one example for either an institution causing major innovation, or even more surprisingly, <clears throat> with very few exceptions, uh, anybody who knows an area reinventing that area. So let me give you a few examples. No way Avis, Avis or Hertz could have reinvented uh, invented the way Uber did. No way Hilton or Hyatt could have reinvented the way Airbnb did. No way Lockheed or Airbus could have reinvented space like Rocket Lab and SpaceX have. No way Volkswagen or General Motors could reinvent the electric car like Tesla has or self-driving like Waymo or Google has. Uh, no way Walmart could have done retail like Amazon has. I could go on. I couldn't find one example of a major innovation in society that was either driven by an institution you'd expect it to do, whether it was private or public. And in climate change, we can talk about public institutions. They're almost always wrong directionally. Um, or individuals who are real experts, because individuals are so biased by their experience that they lead to incremental extrapolations of the past instead of inventing the future we want or they want. So that's a quick overall long answer to your simple question about our philosophy, but it sort of covers a lot of these points. Entrepreneurs will reinvent society. It is reinventable and we can multiply resources, 10x, and not destroy the uh, our resources and our planet in the process of economic growth. And that is a huge business opportunity. Look, you know, you and your firm are, are well known to be one of the driving forces in shaping new themes and inventing new categories. I'm thinking of food, I'm thinking of 3D printing, manufacturing, 
you said that it touches everything tech today, but also AI, aging, neuroscience, or transportation. Can you share with us what trends you're seeing in these categories and maybe also give us a couple of concrete examples of a few category leaders and explain to the audience how they are changing the world? Okay. Uh, I might share one slide uh, with your audience or two slides. Let me do that. Um, let me just get this up and running. So let me share this one slide. Um, this is how we viewed our business. Every two or three areas, we invent a category of that has not traditionally been open to venture capital or technology that we will invest in and explore the space and make it exciting. A long time ago, around 2006, we started investing in climate. QuantumScape is the best single solid state battery company. Hence, has a market cap of 10 billion. Um, and one such investment can return the fund. By the way, um, so QuantumScape is a good example. Launchatech is reinventing aviation fuels to be sustainable. Uh, we are reinventing, Portera is reinventing cement and I'll come back to other areas. So we reinvented climate when nobody in venture capital was investing in climate. In 2010, we invested in Square and soon thereafter in Stripe and Affirm. Um, now, 10 years ago, when I talked to the CEO of Amex and said Square could be as big as Amex, he sort of real, literally laughed at me. Um, Today, Square has roughly, I haven't checked recently, the same market cap as Amex. Even this audience probably doesn't think about it that way. Then in 2011, we invested in Impossible Foods. And nobody in, in venture was investing in food, definitely not in sustainability at such a large scale that their goal was to take 30 to 40% of the planet's land area dedicated to animal husbandry and try and eliminate that. Uh, that was very ambitious in the part of Pat Brown and he's still on that mission. The company's worth about $6 billion today. Digital health, this was a weird term back in 2011, 2012. Nobody even thought about it when I wrote about digital pharmaceuticals, drugs that are apps, people thought it was weird. We invested in space in 2012, a, uh, a company that Google bought from us and then Rocket Lab soon after that. Uh, I won't go through all the areas, but every two to three years, there's a major category we are investing in that at that time, most venture capitalists are not investing in those categories. Literally, people looked at me funny when I said, we're investing in impossible building hamburgers, and that's a tech startup. Um, now, I will mention some other really radical areas. When 
when I said to people, and people often ask me, what's the next impossible in your portfolio? And I say, 3D printed houses. People just look at me funny and I bet your audience is saying the same thing. But we are delivering 3D printed houses today and not incremental stuff. And a couple of people are printing them with concrete, with new materials, with photopolymers that would make them way lighter, way cheaper, and 50% less carbon footprint today. Now, think about it. Half the carbon footprint going to zero and half the cost in construction, where a 5% change in construction costs is a big deal. So that's sort of one extreme. Um, a few years ago, uh, when I talked about AI in medicine, um, people didn't know what it was. My son started a company that we are investors in to make primary care free all over the planet by having an AI physician. Now that's a 10 year vision, but primary care could be free and you could dialogue with an AI the way you dialogue with your physician today or search on Google. Google search is not really going after your symptoms and medical advice, but you can imagine the app that the FDA approves as equivalent. So that's an ambitious goal. At the other end, uh, we are doing drug discovery in deep genomics with AI only and learning how to upregulate or downregulate any gene in the human body. And many genetic diseases uh, are caused by gene defects or over or under regulation of a gene. And we could address disease at, the, at its source with deep genomics. So those are a few of the examples that are, um, I mean, I could go on. Um, OpenAI is interesting. It's an attempt at artificial general intelligence, not the AI you hear about. And there's two distinct approaches people argue about. OpenAI is one with, uh, with deep neural networks. The other is through a very different type of approach that we also are invested in called Vicarious, which is applying general intelligence to so whenever I put this up, people always ask me, are areas of reinvention done or is there others? And I always show people this next slide. If I look at the next decade, these are all areas that are really, really exciting. You know, we've seen the global tensions with China. I am relatively certain that within five to seven years, $2 an hour labor in the United States or Europe is possible. In fact, very, very likely with the right kind of robotics. And what robotics can be cheap, but the one thing it doesn't do is be as flexible as human beings. You know, you can have an assembly line operator assembling an iPhone 
And then the next day, you teach them to assemble uh, alarm clocks. That flexibility does not exist in today's robotics and AI. But if you could teach a robot to watch a human being assemble a clock when it already knows how to assemble an iPhone, to assemble a clock on an assembly line, uh, and it learns by watching a dozen examples, not 12 million examples, but 12 examples, then you've changed the whole labor equation dramatically. And frankly, just assembly line labor, people working in a three-foot space around them on a conveyor belt is a multi-trillion dollar market, much larger than Google's market. My point is, these are very, very large markets to be created, uh, whether it's primary care or assembly line robotics, these are all really exciting mm -hmm. uh, markets. So I'm gonna stop sharing, um, but that was a quick flavor of uh, how we look at things and sort of what drives me at age 66, what am I going to work on health permitting for the next 20 years? You've just heard that whole story. You know, that was very insightful and thank you for sharing this. I guess everybody probably in our audience wants to learn from you, wants to better understand how you come up with these, you know, defined categories how do you envision those and you know, so that the people can apply them to their own industries? Is there a structured process behind it? Is it you know, all you? How, how, do you? how do you come up with these? You know, that's a very hard question to answer. We experiment, whenever we're looking at a new category, there's no process. Uh, I do, and I have a document, uh, and my chief staff can put it in the chat a link to this document, Reinventing Societal Infrastructure with Technology. It's a public document. It's also available on Medium. Uh, and before that, I'd written a document called 20% Doctor Included, which was really designed. It's a 100-page document, I warn you. Um, but it was how you eliminate 80% of the need for physicians, which started with this simple idea. If I were trying to improve healthcare in India or Africa, what would I do? And the answer is, what, what you cannot do is train enough physicians or specialists or oncologists or primary care doctors. Too expensive, too long. And that's when I started working on how else would you do it? So it's a point. It starts with a large problem, ask a lot of questions, eliminate what's not possible, and then come up with what's possible. But that's my principal job. Uh, I'll give you a current example of a few things people haven't heard of. You know, um, I started working about four or five years ago on this idea of the world will not be want to be dependent on China for cheap labor, and labor won't be cheap. And Climate change is hugely affected by long supply chains, both risk and climate. Shipping is estimated to grow to 8% of global carbon emissions. I said, how do you eliminate that? Now, you could make shipping fuel renewable, 
but you could also just eliminate the need for shipping and have production in local communities. What does that mean? It mostly needs cheap labor locally. Why do people go to China? Um, and so we started working on robotics that way. But pick another idea, and I'll, this is very early. I said the world's using a lot of com, uh, content. TikTok, Facebook, Snap, pick your favorite, YouTube. Um, what if AI could make content? And so I started playing with a category, a term, my bet is most of your audience hasn't heard called synthetic media. Media that's generated by AI, not by humans. Whether it's videos or music. We have a really exciting company in Australia called Popcorn Labs. They compose music, they play the instruments, they compose the instruments. So they make their own digital instrument. They sing the songs, all done by AI without humans. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting if you could have infinite uh, amount of music. They could actually make music for one person because the AI would do it for the preferences of one person. Now, people just freak out when I talk about this. But already, this is happening. And on Roblox, if people have kids in the you know, 8 to 14 category, they're probably on Roblox. There's 150,000 people who run concerts of their own using our technology as a way to generate the music. So you don't have to be a great musician to do your own concerts. Uh, so 5 million people are doing their own concerts, their own music every day, every month. 150,000 are running concerts and have run over 100 concerts. And these are 13-year-old kids generating their own audience. So um, we've seen the same. We have a couple of companies we've invested in that will generate content for enterprise. So they'll write up copy instead of having a copywriter do it. So um, uh, uh, that's sort of uh, you know a new category. Nobody's talking about it. We have a small company. Uh, if if you Google talking heads, T-O-K-K-I-N-G, talking heads, you'll see old pictures animated. So you can have JFK say anything you want uh, and fully animated in video. Uh, so the new categories come up all the time. And it's exciting to play with these categories. Um, aging is another area. We don't know whether it'll be successful. Uh, we don't know whether synthetic media will be successful, but we are willing to take the bet. Aging would, of course, most diseases that we think of are diseases of aging, and we address Alzheimer's or ca ca cardiac disease, but we don't address the cause, which is aging makes you much more susceptible to those diseases. So can we 
solve the factors that make you more likely to get a disease when you're old. Um, so that's really exciting. Let me tell you about another seemingly ridiculous project. We have a brand new project to do public transit very differently. A startup to do public transit, that sounds really ridiculous, but we've figured out the way. You know, while others are doing autonomous cars, we think that's a silly way to do autonomous cars, to learn to drive on 35 million miles of road on the planet and solve every situation. So we've invented public transit where it would be on demand. So it doesn't, the train comes by at 8 a.m. It comes by when you need it. Um, it doesn't stop anywhere along the way except where you need to get off. And it happens by inverting what's normally done in public transit. You go from vans to buses to double-decker buses to light train to heavy train. Go bigger and bigger and bigger. We went the opposite way. With autonomous driving in closed tracks, you can have two or four-person vehicles that self-drive. Now they can be on demand because if there's only a two or four people in a car, there's only stop where you need to go. It's not because other people on the train have to get off. Think about it. So you're actually faster than cars. And when you get there, you don't have to park. So you eliminate the hassle. You go faster, uh, faster than cars. It's more convenient than cars. And of course, it's a lot cheaper than cars. I, I don't want to go too far deep into it. I'm happy to go more into any of these areas. At the other extreme, you know, there's a large global project which is supposed to cost about $20 billion in fusion. About three years ago, I worked with the director of the Plasma Fusion Lab at MIT and said, let's do fusion. And we put together a project and it took me 12 months to do due diligence in the area to even know if fusion was possible. Any expert I talked to said 50 years minimum. We said we will demonstrate the key risk in three years and Commonwealth Fusion was born. And two weeks ago, they demonstrated a 20 Tesla magnet, which is the key risk in having fusion. And in three years, we'll generate um, hopefully heat. And then I hope we can replace every boiler and every coal or natural gas plant in the world with our heat engine. So you don't even have to rebuild those plants. We'll just replace the boiler. I call our fusion reactor the new boiler. It generates steam, that's all it does, and nobody else has to know how it does this magic. So a wide range of largely impactful things, uh, pretty, all pretty exciting. Uh, you can tell I get excited about this. I feel like I'm Simon Keen. I see this, you know, and it's impressive to, to listen to you. Look, let's move to another topic. Um, you know, you have expressed some unconventional positions, if I may say, about investments. And I'm sure... Uh, these topics are very much, you know, um, of interest for, for our community. 
could you share with us what you're looking at when it comes to an investment? And also what you know, what, what do you expect? What is a great founder? Uh, what are the how do the founders look like that you back? So um, let me explain our investing philosophy in financial terms. So far, mostly I've been talking about social fa technology factors, but let me explain it financially. Uh, when I graduated from business school and I was in the venture community, I was talking to my friends and, you know, everybody talked about the usual stuff, preservation of capital and then getting a good return for the beta you want to put up. Um, I said, you know, venture is interesting because you can only lose one time to your money. And people are aghast because you can only lose one time your money. Uh, but uh, you have to look at the other side, which is if you can make 50 times your money and only, only lose one time, that's a pretty good deal. So I say, while there's plenty of rules for what I call IRR-based investing, you run a spreadsheet, you compute your IRR, of an investment, and, and there's plenty of investments that warrant that. That's not what we do. What we do is buy options in more large market spaces with large technology breakers. We are doing option value investing, and sometimes the option expires, and we lose one time some money. But when it works, we can get 50 times our money. Uh, a long, long time ago when I was a cleaner, I invested in Juniper. The world believed the internet would be run by companies like AT&T with technologies they liked. There was a technology, if you Google in 1996, the default assumption was it would be ATM technology. Um, I, for various reasons, decided it would be TCPIP. What is the internet today? that it would be a different technology. Nobody in the world, Cisco, Nortel, Lucent, Alcatel, won't believe what I was saying. Uh, and the president of AT&T told me they'd never adapt these technologies, never. Uh, we invested in Juniper anyway. It was a 2,500x return on that investment when I was a climber. Like a three or five billion dollar investment did seven and a half billion in returns to Kleiner. Uh, so a few million dollars became seven and a half. Now, Square, I said we did FinTech in 2010, 2011. It was four people. It returned multiple times our fund, well over a billion dollars. And quantum scape and solid state batteries will do the same. Impossible foods in our fund four will do the same. Uh, and we're not stopping. You know, so impossible, I mentioned uh, Commonwealth Fusion will probably end up, we are still debating it, but probably do a special purpose vehicle to invest even more in because we've understood these technologies from when impossible was one person and no company when we started impossible. Same thing with Commonwealth Fusion. 
we are better qualified to decide whether to do an SPB or not. But we are doing option value investing. If we can replace 5,000 coal plants by 2040, which is my goal with Conwell Fusion, what's that market cap? It's much, much, much larger than Google and Facebook and Apple combined. I know it sounds ridiculous, but think of the size of the energy market. Much, much larger than the ad market. And there's only 5,000 things to be built, boilers to be built. By 2040, you have 20 years. What is the market cap you create? That's what we call option value investing. Now, by way of proof, I, people say it's too hard to do. In the five years after, not very far from Silicon Valley, during the Second World War, uh, the U.S. built a manufacturing facility called the San Ramon Ironworks. The U.S. had built 10 ships in the decade prior to starting San Ramon Ironworks for the war effort. In the five years after San Ramon Ironworks was started in San Ramon, which is just north of San Francisco, the U.S. built 4,600 ships, which are much more complex in five years. Why can't we build 5,000 boilers and leave all the coal plants and natural gas plants intact? Now, that's the way I like to think. And, uh, but back to your question, we are doing option value investing. Yeah, thank you for this. And before I hand over to the audience, let me ask you one more question. You said that the set of opportunities is outstanding and there's an incredible tech ecosystem emerging. We have seen over the past 10 years, uh, an incredible value creation in private markets. When we talk about risks, is there anything that you can see you know, that is out there, which concerns you, which could make this uh, development of this ecosystem come to a sudden stop, even if it's just temporary in a broader macro yeah. trend. Well, I, I worry about it all the time. You know, it's one of the reasons, one of the biggest mistakes we made in 2007, 2008 was get too, foc too focused on climate. There was a lot of interest in climate. We were the early investors. Um, and then around 2011, climate investing died. So there was no follow-on investment available to grow these companies. Now, to be fair, we did impossible in 2010. So it'll return great returns. We did QuantumScape in 2010. We had to slow things down, but it'll be a huge return. It'll return our fund, but it'll take 10 years. Lanza Tech doing aviation fuels uh, is a humongous market. These are $100 billion markets that we can have dominant technology advantage in. But for a while, the funds looked terrible because there was no markups. There was no follow-on investing. We had to hunker down, control our burn rates, and and so being too concentrated in one sector is very dangerous, and we, we try and manage that. Now, climate investing is back, 
but we have a lot of experience and I'm excited about Commonwealth Fusion. But if people stopped investing in climate again for some reason, as happened around 2011 or 2012, it caused a hiatus. Now the fundamental companies didn't go away. QuantumScape didn't die. It stayed hunkered down, developing a battery. Now we think we can hold a large part of the global electric car battery market. So we think there's lots of upside in QuantumScape because batteries will be a multi-hundred billion dollar market by itself. It's, it's expected to get as low as 25% of the production value of all cars, production cost of all cars. That's a very large market. Um, so we this is why when doing option value investing, you sort of have to say um, the option value depends on the size of the market. So I like to say the following. I don't mind failing. Uh, but when I succeed, it better be worth succeeding at it. Right? Most people in business re increase, reduce the probability of failure to the point where the consequences of success are inconsequential in my view. I don't mind a larger probability of success uh, or failure with sufficient diversification in each fund, such that when we succeed, it's worth succeeding at. The consequences of success are really consequential. We can reinvent sustainable aviation travel. We can invent electric car batteries. We can invent energy generation. We can reinvent plant proteins. Now, plant proteins wasn't a term 10 years ago when we started. Uh, and it took up 30 to 50% of the planet's land area, and everybody assumed it'll always be like that. But nobody assumes that today, 10 years later. So, sorry about these long answers, but I get really excited. Yeah, thanks so much so far. Let's give now the audience a chance, and I am back to Yuri for our fire chat. Hey, Yuri, yeah, thank you, Vinat. It's really, really exciting. So I was organizing the questions a bit, and, and I think you can see that, that your points really resonate with, with everybody here listening. There are a lot of questions, especially regarding clean tech and climate uh, change technology. And, and let me pick just one or two. I think one area that's interesting, how do you assess the opportunities to really have tangible change on, um, on, on resource usage? So from a, you know, whether it's clean tech or also climate protection, uh, where, where, do you, where do you have the highest multiplier in terms of impact, not just return? Uh, Yuri, you said to me, you, you like my controversial views earlier when we were talking. Um, let me say most climate investing is greenwashing. So let me be blunt. Most ESG is that, and it disturbs me because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Uh, one of the reasons we considered five years ago having an ESG fund, we chose not to do it because the way you have to do measurement distorts what you do. So you tune your investments to what can be measured, not what has large impact. Uh, 
my view is that lot and people make so climate investing to reduce the carbon footprint is very different than general sustainability or circular economy. Those things are good investments, but they won't change the planet's fight. The planet's fight changes if we do a few things and only a few things. So I wrote a blog and hopefully we can put it in the chat. Uh, hopefully my chief of staff is listening. Hisam, could you put it in the chat? I wrote a blog about a year ago, last July, that there's only a dozen technologies and only a dozen entrepreneurs needed to change climate trajectory for the planet. Elon Musk did that for electric cars and in electric cars, proving electric cars can be viable. One person did, Elon. When nobody else had any plans five years ago, Nobody had plans to switch their fleets to electric. Volkswagen, General Motors, Ford, Volvo, pick your favorite. They had no plans to. In fact, the funny thing is I saw a, um, a report on the number of electric cars by the Department of Energy in the US by 2035, he launched up more cars in 2015 than the DOE had forecast for 2035. Um, that was the state not five years ago. And this is a good example of how fast our business investing assumptions can change and why these transition points are so profitable. Um, but there's a dozen technologies. Uh, aviation fuel we are working on, Fusion we are working on, uh, elect, uh, electricity storage in the grid for a month at a time, very critical. Uh, marginal investments in solar projects and wind projects, that's not really high-risk climate investing in my view, that's project finance. It's a very different low-risk project finance. If you're looking for yields, that's not a bad place to put your money in project finance. Uh, happens to be in climate, but could be in anything. Yeah. These high-risk, high-upside opportunities are what is needed to solve the climate crisis. And there's only a dozen. So I've talked about plant proteins. Agriculture is a big part of emissions. Electric vehicles, aviation fuels, we need solutions for cement, and we have two solutions we are working on. We think we have the solution in Portera in cement, and Tomasic just invested with us in our company. We think with cement can be 50% lower carbon, but we are also building buildings with new materials, not needing cement or steel to do multifamily three to five story housing. Now that's exciting. That is very exciting indeed. You mentioned uh, food production and, and food tech. That was actually, and by the way, I think you answered five other questions uh, at the same time. So that's excellent. Um, what, what's a big, where, where would you put, or where are you probably putting your money in, in food tech and agriculture? So there's some things related to climate. Impossible was started because we wanted to free up 30 to 50% of the planet's land area dedicated to animal husbandry. Most people are shocked at that number. 
and say, let's have plant protein-based protein that tastes better, not as good, but better. And we are trying to get there. So we did impossible. We also did just, which was egg protein. So they do egg scrambles and mayonnaise and things like that. Um, what else are we doing? There's a different food problem that has not, nothing to do with climate, which is sugar. It's a major health problem. So we have a small company. We are looking for co-investors uh, called Joywell that you haven't heard of. And we said, how can sweet taste be healthy? And turns out there's proteins in the world that taste sweet because they bind to the sweet taste receptors. So we actually are scaling up protein production that makes things sweet and much sweeter, like a thousand times sweeter than sugar, but they're, actual, they're not chemicals, they're actual proteins that occur in nature that we are scaling up. So we can solve that sugar-related health problem because I don't think we'll convince the world to give up on sugar or sweet taste. But yeah, that's we not... can get the world to give up on sugar. So that's a very different approach to food. Pretty exciting, but very high risk, very early. We'll need lots of capital. We'd invite anybody who wants to reach out. You know, in Impossible and Unwell Fusion. So this is the other thing. Joyval is more like a seed investment. You know, five to ten million dollars is what they'll raise. Commonwealth Fusion, which is where we are doing an SPV prop possibly, raising a billion dollars to build a reactor that demonstrates once and for all the fusion as possible in the next three years. Wow. That'll be a tens of billions of dollar market cap as soon as we demonstrate it in three years. Maybe a hundred billion because it's such a large market. Yeah, um, that sounds amazing. Right? So the same thing with Impossible. Impossible now has to scale. It's not high risk. So Joywell in sugar is higher risk. Impossible is just a scaling problem. So we'll raise money for Impossible in a SPB for scaling. Mm -hmm. So wide range of things. Um, what else are we doing in food? Uh, we've just invested in a really interesting company to fresh shrimp production. Now, again, not climate-related, but ecology-related. Wild shrimp is really, really destructive to the ecosystem. Shrimp farms are very nasty places, highly concentrated. So we have a whole different approach to create a natural ecosystem near each city. One facility serving one city with shrimp that's less than 24 hours old from harvesting. Not, not flying thousands of kilometers, which is what shrimp farms do or fresh shrimp from the ecosystem do. Can we find a good balance? That's small seed investment we've made. It's out of Singapore. We'll do Singapore first, but European and US cities are next. That's great. That's great. Completely different question for a change. Uh, one person here was asking, 
uh, observing, it feels you're always two to three years ahead of everybody else. And that's probably uh, lowballing it. It seems to be even more. How do you discover those new topics? Where do you find your information? What do you read? You know, and maybe on top of that, how do you actually manage the information flow? You know, it's, that's a hard question. I'm just scientifically curious. So I read a lot in every area. So whether it's polymer construction materials, fusion reactors, AI papers, uh, biotechnology, cancer. <laughs> I read scientific papers in all those areas. And what's odd is sometimes it's across these areas, I'll say, this is happening in cancer. Why can't we do it in chemicals production? Completely different approaches. So for example, biomanufacturing of things other than drugs, like plastics, is really, really interesting to me right now. And, but it comes from a lot of curiosity, I think, and spending an incredible amount of time reading in all these scientific areas. And, you know, it's to me, it's a lot fun. I'd rather read this than any book on fiction because it's real and it's more surprising often. Yeah. Well, that sounds really, really interesting and, and great. Thank, thanks. For but sharing. I do consider, to answer your question, my job in the venture firm is to look for new areas, like synthetic media. I was spending a lot of time in AI, and it occurred to me it could be used to do synthetic media. And then we made first a music bat, and then uh, a bat in content creation and writing. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, one day, uh, I, this is a classic example. I was sitting there with my son and his girlfriend, and his girlfriend is doing some write, some blog writing in immune immune diseases. So she writes about immune diseases. And she do all this research, read 100 articles, summarize it in a blog, then send it to her sister for editing. And me, my son said, you know, GPT-3 from OpenAI to do all this research and write a blog. So literally three hours later, he'd written a script that collected all the articles on a topic, reduced them to an outline, and wrote a blog, what my, his girlfriend was doing. And then we sent those notes to her sister to edit. And she didn't know an AI had done this instead of her mm -hmm. sister. Um, so this is how ideas come, by just experimenting a lot. I would say the best thing we do is experiment a lot. When we start a new area like synthetic media, we don't make 10, $20 million investments. We'll make 10, $1 million investments. So talking heads, or if you look at rosebud.ai, it's a million dollar investment. Popton Labs in Australia was a million dollar investment. We've invested more since, but we experiment with very small investments to learn an area. That's, that's what I would sort of say. Great, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. There were actually also a few more questions by some of our members on the platform who have invested in your Fund 7 and the Opportunities Fund. 
So I'm assuming we can take that offline to give an update on those. I want to also uh, just as a little information. I would say people can, should feel free to email me. My address, uh, my email is vk at Postal Ventures, and my chief of staff, Hesam, who's on this Zoom, is hm at coastalventures.com. So email us if anything is interesting and you want to connect. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. And maybe to everybody else who now thinks, damn, I should have invested earlier in the year when it was on the Moonfair platform, I might add we still have Moonfair growth, growth portfolio open. Uh, so if you are interested and want to invest in Coastal 7 as much as uh, other uh, funds from Silicon Valley, there's still an opportunity. With that, thank so you. So Coastal, Coastal 7, we've mostly closed, but uh, the opportunity fund, which we started in January, we are still open. We just started raising for that. It's our first opportunities fund. Happy to talk to anybody about that or our SPVs. Happy to talk about those which come up periodically. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. With that, I want to hand over for Stefan to one last question and a wrap up. Thank you so much and have a great day. Allow me to finish up um, this session. It was great really hearing all your insights with a personal question. You have achieved everything as an entrepreneur, as a founder, and as an investor. We want again to learn from you. And if there's only one thing which you have to pick, what would you advise your younger self? You know, it's focus only on the things that are really exciting to you and interesting to you. And allow for a lot more variability in life. So always reinvent. Every five years, I've completely changed the areas I'm investing in. So I'm trying to reinvent myself. And um, um, I saw an uh, interview with one of the Beatles. And they were asked, uh, this was about two years ago, uh, asked, what is it that you struggle with the most? And I struggle with the same thing, so I'll repeat his answer. He said, as a 70-year-old staying relevant to 20-year-olds, in the music business, the only thing that's important is 20-year-olds and staying relevant to them, not being me at this high level, very famous, but more being in the scrum with 20-year-olds where the action is and learning from them and staying relevant and adapting, not sitting on my laurels. Thank you so much, Vinod. Uh, terrific insights um, as, as um, the same as we spoke last time. But also let me thank um, uh, the, the Muncha community from around the world really for, for your attention. We had more than 700 registrations from executives across the globe. Uh, so we don't take this for granted. Thanks so much for your uh, attention and for being with us today. Hope to see you all very soon at our next uh, deal talk, which will take place later this year. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, search for Deal Talk wherever you listen to your podcasts. Want to know more about investing in private markets? Visit moonfair.com.